0: Hey, folks, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. Recording in my house today, not my studio, so it might sound a little different. But uh, I'm your host, Mason, and today's episode is with uh, Ian DK Royce. And Ian had this great idea of uh, starting a company called Cindy, which is an outdoor gear rental company that is almost like an Airbnb. You know what you do for your house, but for your gear. You can also buy and sell gear on there, but it's a way to like rent out your gear uh, for adventures, whether it be your mountain bike or your surfboard or uh, anything like that, that people may be traveling somewhere and, and want to borrow the gear or want to try out a new sport, because I don't know about you, we talk a lot about some really cool adventure sports on this show, uh, but getting into any new sport is really can be very expensive. There's very few hobbies that are cheap. Uh, And so before anyone is really sure, it's great to use this gear. So I love the concept of what Cindy is doing, and that's S-E-N-D-Y, cindy.io. You can check them out. But the reason we're featuring Ian today is not because he started this company. It's a great idea. It's really the circumstances in which he started the company, which was having his entire team uh, based in Ukraine, right as the Ukraine and Russian war broke out um, when Russia invaded Ukraine. So he has a team nearly on the front lines doing this stuff, you know, not missing any deadlines as we'll hear. And to go and support and to go and to be a part of this, Ian went to Ukraine himself during the conflict to be with his team to encourage them to make sure Cindy could launch on time. Uh, He's providing jobs for folks in Ukraine as other industries obviously are completely eradicated or totally uh, uh, affected by the war. Uh, Ian's able to continue to hire uh, a handful of folks over there who are helping build out this company. So uh, there's a Forbes article. That's how I got aware of it was this article on Forbes. I thought this is a great idea. This would be a great episode. I did feature this on my other podcast, Without Compromise. But it's an amazing story. Ian's a great storyteller, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Ian Dacre
1: Royce, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Mason. Thanks for
0: having me. Reading about you, we talked about this a little bit before I recorded, but reading about you, it's like you're in Hawaii, you know, everyone just probably assumes it's a vacation all the time there, but you're not in Hawaii today. And if folks could see, it is heavily forested. I was like, does Hawaii not look like what I thought it did? (laughs) But no, you're actually in British Columbia because you split your time. How do you, like, what's the time split? Is it just kind of random? Is it times of the year? How do you do it? Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's not random. It's like perfectly orchestrated to get the best of all seasons in, in both places. So, yeah, I pretty much spend the falls like from September effectively through early January in Hawaii. So, uh, yeah, beautiful fall winter season. It's when I'd like, you know, I live on the north shore of Oahu. So it's surf mecca. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of prime time. So that's when all the WSL events are going on. It's just a lot of action happening. Uh and then, you know, towards late January, usually the snow's good. People are starting to break out cameras and film, you know, backcountry mountain sports in uh in British Columbia, which is Mecca for the mountains. So I come up here and get a lot of, you know, time on on snowboard, on snowmobiles and start to dive into that world
0: you know, t- t- maybe just quickly before we dive into what Cindy is, how long have you always been into these kinds of sports and these kinds of like adventure sports, or is it something, you know, did you grow up in a family like this or is it something you discovered on your own? I'm always like curious about that. Cause it's yeah. different for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. And uh yeah, I didn't so much grow up in a family like that, but I was, I was hooked like early age. So I mostly grew up playing soccer my dad's Brazilian I was like you know I grew up watching soccer playing soccer everything soccer all the time uh and then I think maybe I was like 12 or 13 it's like the first time I got on a snowboard and just I was actually in Sun Valley Idaho went to the top of the mountain watched someone as far as like trying to figure out how to put on the bindings and I just crashed my way all the way down to the bottom and I was hooked like it was literally that quick so yeah. And then I think, you know, I was probably 15 or so when I picked up surfing, which is kind of the hardest sport in the world. It's so weird, but I think like the never ending challenge of it, plus being in the ocean and then having, I don't know, just being individually, you know, the, the competition is with your own mind and yourself and like progression is like within your own, you know, little world. And, Something was addictive about it, and I got into mountain biking when I was probably you know sixteen or so, and never stopped. And I just uh, you know over the years kind of moved away from team sports. I still love playing soccer like for fun with friends, but I'm I'm just hooked on these sports in nature. Really changed my life.
0: And, and and where did you say a lot of this was early on? Probably not Hawaii and BC.
1: Yeah, well, so I actually grew up mostly in East Africa in Kenya. Um so I was there from when I was 2 to when I was about 15 and so I moved to California when I was 15 and that's like really where all this started happening. So I grew up surfing north coast of California uh above Sonoma like Sonoma coast above San Francisco uh and yeah mostly snowboarding in Tahoe and that area and yeah that's where it all happened.
0: Wow. So you know a lot of folks dive into their passions when it comes to work a lot of them don't i i I hear from a lot of friends and and folks i know that intentionally keep those separate um and i know for you you've got this entrepreneurial history very successful doing things take us through kind of the ideation of cindy and recognizing this problem of kind of like the barriers to entry for entering adventure sports i actually host another podcast that's called the adventure sports podcast and one of the messages in that show is like eliminating those barriers mostly you know in your mind getting used gear stuff like that so it is a huge problem in the outdoor industry when when did you recognize that
1: i mean honestly i recognized that when i was like 13 and i was like (laughs) drooling over like over boards that i could never get you know
0: so (laughs) yeah so i think
1: Uh, yeah, it's a reoccurring problem for everyone and kind of like the more sports you do and the more gear you need. And then all of a sudden you have a garage full of sports and, and then, and, and gear, and then you progress a bit and all of a sudden you don't need that board. You need a new one. And so it's kind of this thing that I think is like an evolving problem. It starts from like day one when you want to actually get into something new. And then it goes for the life of the sport as you progress and equipment progresses and And so, yeah, I mean, between, you know, Travis Rice, Cam Zink and myself, like the amount of gear we have is is crazy. And uh, so it is a, yeah, it's a problem for us. Um, And then as far as like identifying it, bringing it into the business world. um, So I just like a lot of other people did jobs that I didn't love. And, you know, I, I developed skills and skill sets through, you know, doing things that, you know, we're very much work, you know, didn't have a lot of fun component to them. And uh, so, yeah. And, you know, I've known Travis for probably 10 years. We've done a lot of like great trips together. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, and when we, when we started talking about what became Sandy, it was one of those things where as soon as the idea triggered, we were on a surf trip together. He's a good surfer too. Most people don't know that, but um, yeah, as soon as we like started talking about it, it just started flowing. And we're like, oh, well, we should do that and people need this and we could, you know, do it like that. And it just like started evolving so fast. And then once we started talking about the idea with other people, the response was so good um, that we just realized we needed to do it. And, you know, we've, Travis has like a whole event series called Natural Selection. It's like one of the most amazing backcountry snowboard events ever. It is the most amazing um, so I've sponsored that event with other companies. I've been at most of them in person and, you know, they're, it's incredible. And so many brands and companies use adventure sports and action sports as part of their marketing strategy. It's one of the longest running marketing, you know, strategies in the world. So everything from like Visa and MasterCard are using like surfers or skiers to like promote their, their products and services. But most of that doesn't have any relevance to actual to these sports themselves. And so, you know, for us with Travis and his background of like creating content and events and working with different brands and myself building businesses and whatnot, like we really felt like we knew the audience. We, we were our target customer. We had the ability and the channels to speak to them. Um, and yeah, so we started working on Cindy and it just all happened really fast, to be honest with you.
0: What was kind of pointing in that direction for you to say, this is the next big problem I want to tackle.
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, it, in some ways, it didn't even happen that way. Like it was something that we were excited about, like for ourselves and our friends. And, and then as we got into it is when those numbers started to, to pop up. And I think, you know, one number that illustrates that would be like REI's revenues, right? So REI is one retailer and in, in not even the biggest one, believe it or not. Uh, in our industry and they do $3.8 billion worth of sales every year in new equipment. And there is no marketplace that's dedicated to outdoor sports and outdoor adventure sports. And so, you know, hiking, climbing, mountain biking, backpacking, and then you have all the all the new ones, right? Like foiling, wind foiling, uh, you know, all these things that are popping up on a daily basis. And so here we are with garages full of gear always switching sports and equipment and gear there's no place for this to go unless we're listing it to our local market on craigslist or facebook which was like so scam ridden that it's definitely not worth selling anything less than like a couple hundred bucks because it'll be too much of a hassle um and yeah so we just like you know we know that there are tens of billions of dollars of new equipment sold every single year and in the meantime there is year after year of that being accumulated in everyone's closets and garages. There's no actual, you know, efficient way to redistribute that. And then on the other side of the equation, there are folks like who I was when I was, you know, in my teens and early twenties, who would have loved to upgrade equipment or get into, you know, a new sport. And sure enough, there's definitely someone with that exact thing that you need sitting in their closet, not outside, not being used. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think once, once we started just chatting through and just ideating on it, it just became so apparent that someone, you know, needed to do something. And we were honestly shocked. It was like one of those problems that you're like, how has nobody done this yet? Right. It just seemed like too obvious. And uh, yeah. And so we just went after it and, you know, we work hard and that's in our nature. You know, we like work, so it happened fast.
0: I'll share a quick story. You know, when I was first getting into some of the sports that that have shaped my life, uh, adventure sports, yeah. it, it was. I was in college, broke, and $20 was a big deal. It was like, you know, a lot of thought went into spending any kind of money. And that thought, exactly, exactly what you just said, always went through my mind. I said, I know there's somebody out there that has all this stuff who would literally part with it for nothing because they don't care. Uh, because they, they, they just, they realize like, especially if they knew someone in my position needed it. And I'm at that point now in life where I've got some equipment sitting there. And I'm like, I guarantee within a hundred miles of here, there is a college student who would salivate to have this piece of equipment for, for what I'd be willing to get rid of it for. And it could change their life. That's the yeah, thing. It will. It's not just like, oh, they get a deal and they, they're they not buying new equipment from somewhere like REI. It's, it's this could lead them down a road that actually gets them to be a better customer over the course of their life because now they're passionate about this thing and it becomes a big part of who they are versus having that door closed in your face because you just can't even enter it. Um, so without that persistence and having friends that were also consistent and, and passionate about this, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for finding those amazing deals. A lot of times by chance and by being just going to every thrift store in town, going to every yard sale and praying to God I'd come across, you know, a bike packing piece of gear I needed. That was 30 years old at that point.
1: Oh, I That's like the only way to do it. That's, you know, so our mission statement and, and what, like, we literally believe the world it will be a better place if people are are able to adventure in nature like it, it's it's completely like changed our lives like who knows what I would be doing if I hadn't discovered you know mountain biking and surfing and snowboarding because I've devoted like a huge chunk of energy in my life to these things that ultimately are like pretty positive outlets and and being you know being like a young man and I'm sure it applies for women too I just can only speak you know from my own experience but like to be a young man like in this world you have a lot of energy if that's not channeled somewhere it's very easy to go into some like destructive or non-self-serving tendency or habit and so you know for us like the more people that are getting into nature seeing it for themselves feeling those feelings even feeling that bit of like adrenaline or fear that or whatever that is you know that's built into some of these sports like that's programmed into us as human beings and yeah. If we can be a part of like helping to get more people like out there doing this, I, I we really feel that like the world will be a better place. If, if people are having, you know, have the opportunity to experience these as an outlet for that energy. And uh, we want to be a part of that.
0: Anything unique about how Cindy was, is approaching it. Um, anything yeah. that's more geared towards this demographic. And also I'm looking at stuff that's, that's, Like, is this for rent as well as for stuff for sale? Like, how does this, how how, how do people interact with Cindy?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, really, you know, easy to jump on cindy.io and, uh, yeah, you can check out the website, there's apps on Android as well as Apple. Um, and very fluid, familiar interface and process. So first off, I think we have the best inter- interface and like process for a marketplace, especially in this category. We're really proud of it. Um, but it's buy, sell, or rent adventure sports equipment anywhere in North America. So it's full UPS integration, which means that if you're looking for that bike packing equipment that you were talking about, you know, the odds of you finding it within 50 miles of yourself in Florida, pretty low. The odds of finding it anywhere in North America, pretty high. So, so that's a major, you know, advantage right there. And then of course, like the other guy who has this odd bit of bikepacking gear, and maybe he's in Colorado and he's, you know, needs to find a market for that. It serves him because now he's, he's selling it to a nationwide audience of someone who's looking specifically for that piece. And so we see that with like, you know, bike shocks that come in really specific sizes, like all the like parts, pieces, wheels, kites foils right foils have like 700 different sizes and combinations like legos so so a lot of this stuff is um you know being in a national marketplace helps match the right buyer and seller uh and then on the rental side you know that just evolved in part it evolved because i have a friend in Kauai with a kayak shop and all day long his phone is just ringing and he's like why look kayak adventures why look kayak adventures oh, no, sorry, we're sold out for Thursday. And bu- and I'm just seeing like this process, is not really that efficient. And on the other side, if you're looking to rent a kayak in Kauai, you're like Googling, Google mapping it, calling around, trying to book it. And I'm just like, this, this is not working. And we already had so much built into this platform that, and our software team is so good, which I'm sure we'll talk about them because they're just the most amazing crew in the world. But, uh, Yeah, so we built an entirely integrated rental function into Sendy. So just like Turo or Airbnb, you can like search map view of an area specific to the items you're looking for, book in advance on a calendar with time sliders, chat with the person with the item, and then all the like payment, liability waivers, ID verification, like all of that stuff is integrated through Sendy. So you literally just show up, pick up the item, use it, drop it off you know, take photos of it before and after that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, we figured we would, you know, make a, you know, give it a shot to try and revolutionize the way that rental sports equipment is, is, you know, searched for and, and rented around the world. Um, Yeah. So, and then the biggest thing I think that is differentiating that people who love, you know, adventure sports and, and everything we love, I think that they'll notice is that the entire platform is built for our community? So our like categories and, and you're able to search by activity, you know, the, the sports, the categories, sizes, brands, like all of that is all built into the app. We have thousands of brands in Sendy. we have hundreds of categories. So if you're a climber, you can look for climbing, sport climbing, sport climbing harnesses. Right. So so you can really whittle down and find what you're looking for in a way that's very difficult to do on like an eBay or a Craigslist. And then of course you're shopping a national marketplace as well. So I think that kind of combination of features is is what you know is one of the reasons why we're successful and it's been a good run for us.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. And I love that when it comes to, you know, because there's gear sitting at my house that, you know, I don't necessarily need right this second or all the time, but I'm not getting rid of it. There's too many adventures I've had with it. There's too many stories. There's nicks and scrapes and stickers that I'm like, all that. I Um, I have to tell my kids these. And it's not taking up that much room so I can justify it. But... I know it still could be really useful and it's not, you know, it's almost like a a racehorse not getting, being able to run. It's like, what do I do? Well, that's, what's so cool about your rental program too is like, and you get to help introduce people into the sport too. So there is that, that cool side of it that I didn't know until I started exploring the website really.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah. So that, yeah, the rental side, we're really going to put some energy on launching that this fall. Um, we just had our hands full. It's been moving quick, but, uh, Yeah. So like the rental program, there are really two sides to it. Like one, are existing retailers, like say a bike shop in Whistler over here that has 20 bikes, they rent them out every day, but it's the problem that I've mentioned, you know, like my friend in Kauai, where it's not really organized for either the person looking for the bike or the person renting out the bike. So this just integrates the entire thing, brings that whole fleet onto Sendy and someone can rent it right through the app. So that's one solve. The other is like, for individuals. And, you know, I use my, my younger brother as an example, he's an incredible mountain biker, like really good. He's got four bikes and he works construction. So he's making, you know, whatever it is, 20, 30 bucks an hour working construction. And he was doing the math and he's like, man, if I rent out a couple of my bikes every weekend, I'm going to make as much as I do working four, 10 hour days, you know, in construction. And so, you know, for us, it was also like that ability to get side income for folks that love these sports. And, you know, if you're, if you're making 20, 30 bucks an hour, and now all of a sudden bikes are worth like $6,000, right? Like when I was growing up, it was absurd to pay like over $1,500 for a mountain bike. And then I remember it was like 2000 bucks. And now it's like, as much as, you know, my, my truck is worth, you know, half the time. So it's like, So I like, yeah, part of our thinking was like, okay, if you're going to invest, if you invest in something that's that expensive, this is a way to kind of help chip away at the depreciation of that. And then you can turn around and sell it on Sandy when you're done. So it has an enduring value of the actual asset. And if all, if we get all of this right for users, we're like seriously dropping the cost of participation in these sports. And we can even make it like cash flow positive. To, to invest in a mountain bike or you know a similar piece of sports equipment so so yeah that was kind of our thinking is like how do we flip this whole thing on its head and make it worth it for someone like my brother to actually you know invest in a five thousand dollar mountain bike which is the bike he wants obviously so
0: you know folks that are gonna travel to race or go on vacation somewhere and they wanted to they want to ride Whistler while they're there, but you know, it's it's I'm not going to bring my $5,000 bike with me. Maybe I will, but maybe it'd yeah. be a lot easier if I didn't have to and I could exactly. just rent a similar or the same bike when I get there from your brother or whoever. Yeah, it's great. Great idea. I love this. Um
1: yeah. also families, right? Like now imagine you have three kids and you're bringing five bikes. Like, you know, that's no fun. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: then your brother's fleet is gone for the the whole fleet's gone for the day. (laughs) I love that, man. So I do want to talk about some of these unique challenges with Cindy. Um, you know, you got a lot of your team in Ukraine. What, what was the idea behind that? And what were, you probably didn't foresee the challenges you'd face when you first were making that decision.
1: Yeah, no, we did not. So, um, so yeah, when we started building Cindy, like from a software perspective, you know, putting together the right software team is one of the most critical moments of a company like this, because, you know, team is everything when it comes to a company on all levels. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had probably interviewed 30 different firms and project managers and all, all kinds of different options as far as actually building the software. And I had multiple interviews with this team in Ukraine uh, who I ended up going with as like our final dev team. And and this is like, you know, this is at least four months before the war started or more. So at this point that was not even on the horizon. As far as we knew, we were just picking a great team, you know, in Ukraine, these guys work hard, they're efficient, they speak great English. Um, A lot of software development happens over there so we started working on them we wireframed it did all the original ux ui design like we we really got into the project and as part of that uh we got to know each other right we became friends because you're on zoom you know three four times a week and and you know yeah just like there was a real feeling of team with with the crew over in ukraine uh and then all of a sudden you know russia invades and i go from literally i was on the on a phone call with vlad the night before and I was I was saying, hey, Vlad, you know, I really think that you should probably get out of Ukraine. I can arrange for some flights in Poland. Uh, you know, this may or may not happen, but let's be safe. And he's like, OK, yeah, I'll consider it. But kind of brushing me off a bit. And then the next call I got from him four hours later, which I think was 3 a.m. Ukraine time, uh, he was in his car. There were literally literal cruise missile strikes happening in Kyiv. He was leaving Kyiv. Uh, with his wife, Um, and I was in touch with him all through the Ukrainian night. He ended up driving for over 13 hours, sleeping in his car outside of Lviv in Western Ukraine, trying to get across the border. Uh, And then by the time he got to the border, they were no longer allowing men to leave Ukraine. So uh, he and the entire team have been in Ukraine throughout the whole war. Um, There were points where they were living in Western Ukraine uh, with, you know, relatives or just apartments and whatnot. Um, and now most of them are back in Kyiv, but a lot of these guys are from guys and one woman are all from frontline, uh, cities, right? So they're from Zaporizhia, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Militopol, which is where the, the Azov steel factory was one of the biggest fights in the beginning of the war. So, you know, these guys are like, I mean, they're so in it. It's, it's crazy. Their whole lives have been disrupted. And and throughout all of that, they never missed one single deadline that we established with Sunday. So somehow they were able to, in record time, take from concept to launch the Sendy app in, in under 10 months, right? Uh, during a war. And so, you know, that was step one. Then we were about to launch sendy so this is now november of last year and you know travis and i've been working on this whole launch plan we've got instagram channels ready to blow like press all this stuff like ready to go right it's the day and and russia starts bombing all the power stations and all of a sudden we're on zoom calls with the team over there and they're in parkas and dark like you know it just all of a sudden it really looked like a war zone over there and uh so, yeah, I just realized that I had to get over there with a Starlink and some generators to keep these guys online because, you know, when you launch a product like this, there are inevitable bugs and problems. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. And so I booked last minute flights and travel over there, um, you know, got a Starlink generator and some other stuff and uh, flew into Poland, crossed the border by bus. And I ended up spending a week in Ukraine with the team, um, getting them fired up on on the Starlink systems and we launched on schedule. So it was pretty wild. What,
0: what led to your decision to go join? I mean, did that seem, did you have anybody telling you, Hey, maybe that's not the best idea to physically go over there yourself?
1: Yeah. Everybody told me that. Like my my sister was like crying on the phone with me, like in the airport, you know? (laughs) um, I mean, yeah, I guess like, you know, I, I did grow up in Africa. I've traveled a lot. I've been in and out of war zones. Um, you know, I'm fairly confident in my ability to navigate situations. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things where I think it was a combination of the fact that we would not be able to launch this product if I didn't do it. And we had all them included, all collectively worked so hard to make it happen that I wanted to see that Be successful for everybody uh involved and uh and then i also wanted to meet this team because i was so impressed by their character by their work ethic by their communication and i just felt like it would be a a real gesture of goodwill for me to go out and take everyone out to dinner and you know not be fearful and not um yeah just to like do something really different and to be honest like the ukrainian people and my entire experience over there was one of the most incredible of my whole life like I've, i've never felt more welcome um people were thanking me like as if i had like personally like delivered tanks like they were just like welcome america welcome america like even if they spoke no english and um yeah, it was an incredible experience. I mean, like one of the nights we literally went out and like went out on the town in Kiev and there's no power. All the bars are like lit by candles. They're everything's sandbagged. All the windows are sandbagged. It felt like going out and partying in Paris in the middle of World War II, where you're in like a serious city, a multiple million person city. But the whole thing is like locked down. So. It's, it's just indescribable, man. I mean, we were in and out of bomb shelters. Like when I was leaving Kiev, I drove the road North towards Chernobyl and the Belarusian border. And I was in a sprinter with a bunch of refugees for like probably 14 hours along the Belarusian border. And for the first two hours of the drive, not one thing was not shot up or blown up. Like if, if you could hide behind it, like if like a bus stop, or a mailbox or like anything you could hide behind was riddled with bullet holes and um like we'd pull into a gas station to get gas and there'd be a thousand bullet holes in the gas station like the level of fighting to reach that you know that amount of destruction was kind of unfathomable to me um and yeah it gave me just even more respect for for my team for the sendy team you know and and for the country and just everything, man. It was, it was an incredible journey, right? Indescribable.
0: This is crazy, man, by the way. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It sounds very similar to what we're seeing on TV. What was, was there any maybe realization or like, you know, we all see footage from like world war two, like you just mentioned and and hear stories about how insane that was, but you know, all these just fascinating details about it. What were some of like those big, maybe misunderstandings or, uh aha moments when you got there and on the ground and got to see firsthand was it like worse than even it's being described or how how was it different
1: it's so hard to know what to expect going into that situation but the things that were noteworthy to me um one is that there is no way that russia will take over that country behind every single intersection tree church, park, everything are sandbag bunkers manned by rotating troops and civilians. So every inch of land of Ukraine is like set up in defensive war positions. And that's everything from the Polish border. Like I did a you know, 10 hour road trip with Vlad from Lviv in Western Ukraine into Kyiv. And every intersection is sandbagged checkpoints hidden hidden bunkers in every tree line. Uh, and then when you're in the city of Kiev, every intersection has tra- tank traps ready to deploy. Bunkers, like sandbag bunkers, literally on, like, in the front of churches and, like, kids' playgrounds. And, like, so everywhere you go, it's impossible to forget that there is a serious war going on. So I, I think, you know, that was one thing, just the tenacity of the ukrainian people
0: and how did that feel how did that feel just like knowing that
1: um in a certain way i think it made me feel small i guess that there there's like this uniting purpose for these people that is so pervasive across every moment of of their lives and you know i was there bearing witness to it and yeah. In some ways it like, I almost wanted to like stay and help out. It's like, give me a shovel. What can I do? You know, cause the, the determination and the passion of the people like left such a deep impression on me. Yeah. And I think just like, it's rare to see so many people so unified, like, like we live, you know, we live in a country that is somewhat divided, divided and divisive. And that's part of our strength is that we have the ability to you know, debate different ideas and like that freedom that we have for that is like part of what is, is makes our country like amazing. And, and at the same time, it's like so rare to be in a place where every single person has the exact same goal and they're all working together to accomplish that. And, um, and that's really what it felt like. Like if you go, you know, if you go to a bar, like, you know, the Ukrainian team wanted to like take me out and show me all the traditional Ukrainian stuff so I was eating like borscht soup and I'm drinking like cherry wine which is not recommended uh at least from you know a hangover perspective but uh yeah so you know
0: something for you for that uh, over at Athletic <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so, yeah. anyway so yeah man so like you know I go into a bar and it's like on the cups itself, it's like, stay strong Ukraine. Like like the, gr- oh, this was something that left an impression on me. The greeting, like when you say hello to someone, it's Slava Ukraini, which is glory to Ukraine. And the response to it is Hero Yim Slava, which is glory to the heroes. So everywhere you go, every interaction starts with glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. So that's a hundred times a day with every interaction. Yeah, it gives you like goosebumps, right?
0: I want to be careful not to glorify it, but it sounds, yeah. you are very aware you're in the middle of history in the making. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, that's um, what it feels like. What, what did mm-hmm. you feel like with having this project called Cindy uh, in the midst of all this and having a, a small team of, of folks like almost pulled away from that to work mm-hmm. on this? What did that feel like to have this kind of very different type of, thing Mm -hmm. to do i read that vlad was talking about it was nice having something else to focus on um what Mm -hmm. did you feel like cindy was was providing to the people working on it
1: that's a great question and and yeah you know in the very beginning of the war i had to talk vlad and some of the team out of going to join the army i'm just like please stick with us on this project Like this will make a difference to your life and your family's life forever. Just stick with us. And, you know, being, especially in those early days, being like a late twenties, early thirties, you know, male, there was a ton of pressure from the entire society to join up and fight. And, um, so I'm, you know, I am, and for forever will be grateful uh, to them for sticking with us, you know, on this. And, um, you know, I think two of the things like one is that every single month, no matter what we're sending tens of thousands of dollars into Ukraine. So, you know, we, a lot of companies pulled out when the war started and that's like the worst thing for the people there because everyone still needs to eat. They still need to like live someplace like society needs to function in the midst of this. And and part of what that is, is keeping people working and making income, uh, you know, from their jobs. And so, us being able to directly support with cash infusions and help take care of like all of these folks families that feels good i wake up in the morning i feel good about that no matter what right and then you know the other thing i think that's like been really surprising in in the best way possible is ever since we launched sendy and and we launched it with a bang right like we have you know between all the footage that we have from Cinemax is mounted on helicopters and all this just incredible athletes that provide footage to us. We were able to, to create a really beautiful vibe in our marketing um, and I think it inspired people. And so, you know, a lot of our marketing is, is designed to be aspirational. Like we, when you see and and hear anything about Sendy, we want you to come away with like an inspired positive feeling. Like we are trying to create more of that in the world And I think I'm surprised by how successful we've been with that. And then, you know, in the US and Canada, just how many, like literally hundreds of emails come in of people that are just wanna say, hey, we're so stoked on what you're doing. Hey, how can I be a part of it or whatever it is? So like, it's incredible to take something from an idea, put it into the world and get that kind of response from so many people. So that was that was amazing. And then to arrive in Ukraine, and have the same level of enthusiasm for folks that are obviously dealing with some pretty serious issues. Like, for example, when I walked in, I, we set up a team dinner, right? I took, I took the whole team out to dinner uh, in this restaurant in Kiev, which is on a floating boat on the Dnipro river. It's pretty cool. Um, and I show up to dinner and, you know, a couple of the back end developers don't speak the best English, but they just were practicing a couple lines. And I walk in, they're like, I love Cindy. I love Cindy. I love Cindy. Right. They're just like saying the same thing over and over again. And I was just like, man, like thank you. You know, that's like, thank you, thank you. Like so grateful. And um, so yeah, I think like in many ways, this is like the coolest project that they've ever had the chance to work on, and like all of their skills, and like I said, these are these guys are the hardest working people I've ever worked with. And, and for them to have something that they're passionate about, like I get emails, if I have a bug or a problem with the app or some one of our customers has an issue, I'll get responses at 2 a.m. Ukraine time. This is not because these guys are on the clock. It's because they seriously like care about what we're doing. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, the team is passionate about what we're doing and, you know, about building like a beautiful, elegant product that works and for a software developer to build something and then see thousands and tens of thousands of people using it, it's so rewarding and and i'm just really grateful that you know they've been able to have that experiment experience too and i think it is kind of like a little bit of light in in a lot of the hardship that they're dealing with
0: let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. What are maybe some of the lessons that you've had to learn as a leader in a circumstance like this? Because, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. You face tons of obstacles and tons mm-hmm. of situations. I think this is probably pretty unique among mm-hmm. those what yeah. is it drawn out of you that's been new or you've had to really be conscious of and learn or just, uh, be aware of?
1: Wow. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me just in, you know, company after company that I've either worked with or started, I think every single time it becomes more and more crystal clear that the character of the team is the most important component of the entire company and that the relationships, the friendships, the communication, the excitement, the honesty, the passion, like those elements are what truly unify a team and make anything achievable. Like if, if I went out to start Cindy by myself and I was planning on doing everything by myself, it would be nowhere and I would have accomplished nothing. And the only way that this has come into the world is by a small group of people all believing the same thing, being passionate about the same thing, working really well with each other and and getting it done. And so I think like more and more crystal clear to me than ever is that that is the most important ingredient. And I think what's really beautiful about that is that we've been able to cultivate that company culture across you know, totally different sides of the world. Like we have built that in completely different, you know, people with totally different backgrounds, totally different current situations, interests, focus, everything. Somehow we've brought those people together to like really care about each other, really care about what we're doing, work incredibly tightly together. Um, And, you know, for me, my, favorite stage of a company. Like I've built companies from idea to, you know, 200 plus employees. And like my favorite stage is this early stage. It's when all parts of the puzzle are communicating with each other. Things happen very quickly. Like if a customer, you know, requests a certain feature like, oh, you know, it would be nice to have like quantities of when I input my goods, because I have 30 of the same, uh, you know, sleeping pad then that communication can go from a customer to the developer within two hours and, and to the backend developer. And five days later, we deploy that, that feature. Like those feedback loops, when you start compiling those and, and stacking them on top of each other and the speed at which things happen when everyone is communicating like that is amazing. And so, yeah, I think you know more even than learning anything new it's just reinforced like the things that i knew deep down where it's character is everything the character of the people involved is everything um and i'm just grateful to be at this early stage of a company again where it's like really fun it's like you know it's it's wonderful
0: you know has there been a surprising amount of good things despite the circumstances that on paper seem so obviously negative. It sounds like the team's highly motivated, Mm -hmm. amazing people. The communication's Mm -hmm. incredible. And it's, it's, you know, you're defying the odds in a lot of ways. What, what are some of those challenges that might not be as obvious?
1: I think a lot of the challenges have been on a personal level and that, you know, these folks are so professional that they rarely bleed over into work. But, you know, Vlad was was separated from his wife for almost nine months. She was living in Poland. He was living in an apartment with no power, no water, no heat for, you know, at least half of that time. And, you know, when I saw photos of where he was living, he's now in a new place, which I'm grateful because I was like, man, you got to move. But, you know, he was in the top of an old Soviet high rise that's 40 stories high. And, you know, if you can imagine, I don't know, I'll have to send you a picture or something, because it's hard to imagine. But these are like old Soviet block buildings with no power, no water, no elevators in the middle of the winter. And you're on like the top floor, which is exactly where the next cruise missile might come in and hit, right? So it's like, I think that on a personal level, the mental resiliency to like, tough it out in that kind of situation is no joke. And then to be able to like not let that situation bleed over into your work, like to continue to hit deadlines. Like I don't know a lot of people that would be able to withstand that. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, in a sense, like everything on the work front has been pretty smooth and that a lot of the challenges are you know, people overcoming personal hardship and the team environment at Cindy, you know, we're part of the support group. Wow.
0: Let's say, you know, I've heard you mention you want Cindy to be like that thing you do for like the next couple decades. Like ideally that would be, you know, it's like a, a, a life passion. How do you think, you know, getting started in this way in the middle of a war torn country with a team, on the ground there. What do you think the legacy of that will be for Cindy down the road? What will be different about Cindy because of that foundation versus not having that foundation?
1: I think that like what we've been able to accomplish against the odds that we've been able to accomplish them shows a lot of the character of the people involved. And, and you know, the character, of the the initial team that builds a company goes on to be the foundation of the culture of the company itself. And and so I think that anyone, as we grow and we build into the future, anyone who joins up and is is part of the Sendy team knows that this company came from a super determined, super passionate group of individuals that are 100% committed to doing what we're doing and, and building what we're building. And so, you know, when I say this is a place that I would love to work for the next 20 years, it's, you know, this is, it's my dream job. It's, it's, I love working. I'm not going to stop working. I don't know what I would do. I'd probably get bored. So, you know, I love building things and building things with teams. It's one of the, you know, pleasures of being a human being in my mind. And um, so, yeah, just like a good for the planet, good for people, you know, with all the sports and communities and athletes that I love uh, it's yeah, it's just a lot of things that I love. And, and the only thing that's going to make it worth it to stay here for 20 years is if we keep the culture intact and it's a place that other people love to work and and other people love to be a part of this thing that we're building. And so I just think that like the DNA of this company is like, is pretty incredible and the more that people know that story even like the people who join us to help build what we're building the more they know what we overcame to bring this into the world the better and you know that Forbes article that you referenced a couple times which anyone listening to this you know just search Sandy and Forbes and it should pop up but what when they first started diving into our story they were taking it from like the athlete entrepreneur angle, right? Travis Rice, Cameron Zink teaming up to solve the big problems in adventure sports. That's a great angle. It's a great story. But like once they really got into it, they're like, "Wait a second. Your story is even way more wild than we thought it was." And they completely pivoted and they ended up interviewing the team over in Ukraine via Zoom and, you know, talking to us and getting a bunch of photos from my trip over there. And all of a sudden that became the story. And so, yeah, I, I just think that like for us as like a company culture and a brand culture to have like, not only are we like really truly devoted to the sports that that we and the communities that we serve, like we live for this stuff. Like our lives have been dedicated to these sports. So there's that level of authenticity. And then there's just like the, the level of commitment, I think, that comes from, The circumstances in which we had to work and, and those two things together, I think are are really powerful building blocks for, you know, a brand and company culture, hopefully for a very long time to come. And I hope 20 years from now, everyone still loves each other and it's still a great place to work.
0: Very powerful and very unique building blocks. I'd say, you know, that's not, Mm -hmm. I don't know many companies that have this kind of start, not recently, you know, on this journey, and as you get there, let's dial it all the way down to, to something daily. What, what What's a something daily that you do that really keeps you ready to kind of face these really unique and big problems every day? Because you're helping people recreate, but the team that's helping people recreate and that's, you know, if you boil it down, that's what people are doing even though they might be passionate and the team that's helping you do that's at war. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. these crazy different, uh, worlds you're, you're working in all the time. What helps you stay solid? What helps you stay consistent on a daily basis?
1: Well, yeah, that's super easy and that's sports, you know, like how <laughs> had a feeling like, yeah, literally can't live without it. So, you know, I, I live 20 minutes from Whistler bike park and grab a downhill bike and go for some laps you know, or if I'm in Hawaii, it's five minutes out to some fantastic waves. So I'll at least get an hour, hour and a half of surfing in every day. And yeah, I mean, just adventures in nature like that. It's yeah. Keeps me solid. Gives me some time to think. It takes me out of my, you know, my bubble of, of the to-do list reality and forces you to be extremely present. Like, oh, if I'm not present, I'm going to crash into a tree or some rocks. Right. So, (laughs) it kind of makes you pay attention to like, you know, what's going on in the moment and not just constantly thinking about everything you have to do all the time. So that's definitely my answer. Mm.
0: Well, on that, on the pursuit of of building Cindy and making this the dream, uh, the dream continuing it, you know, at athletic brewing, one thing, one thing we say a lot is like brew without compromise because doing anything different takes you doing it as best as best can be. And so that's not just brewing without compromise. You have to, kind of have to live your whole life without compromise. What does it mean to you to live without compromise?
1: That's so good. Um, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think that like truly pursuing your like passions and dreams, like believing in them. And, and, and I, I think like part of manifestation is to be able to like believe or visualize And like, whatever it is that you're trying to bring into the world. So taking that time and really getting crystal clear with no holds barred, like what is the most amazing reality that you can create and dream, get clear on that and then go after that, like in a big way. And and that's what we've all done as founders. And I think the, the brew without compromise and living life without compromise, something that popped up for me with that is like that to me summarizes travis rice right like that's you know my partner in this whole thing like he's the best snowboarder in the world because of that because it's like complete attention to detail in every aspect like the reason his films are the best is because every millisecond is scrutinized and timed perfectly and and if if the shot's not perfect you're gonna shoot it again and like sometimes people you know, get frustrated working with Travis because he has this like incredible attention to detail and vision, but that's why he is who he is. And I think, you know, with, with anything you do, including brewing, you're like, you know what, I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm, I'm going to do this exactly the way it's supposed to be done. And if you do that, you're going to have a fantastic product. And, uh, you know, we do the same thing at Sandy. Travis does the same thing in his writing and his films. You know, I've got a case of athletic here in the fridge. Thank you, by the way. Uh, And we've been crushing those all weekend. So you guys are obviously doing something right.
0: (laughs) First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com and until then get out there and have some fun